welcome to more to come. PW Comic World's weekly podcast on graphic novel and comics publishing, recorded at the PW offices in New York City. I'm Calvin Reed, Senior News Editor of Publishers Weekly, Editor of PW Comics World, and Editor of The Fanatic, PW's new uh, twice-a-month comics and pop culture newsletter. Check us out online at publishersweekly.com slash comics. And I'm Heidi McDonald. I'm the editor-in-chief of The Beat at comicsbeat.com. And you can check us out on Twitter when Twitter is running at at PW Comics World. And I'm Kate Fitzsimmons. I'm the podcast producer. And you can find us online on Tumblr at pwcomicsworld.tumblr.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to more to come on iTunes and on Facebook. We're at facebook.com slash PW Comics World. And don't forget, if you listen to us, please leave us a note. Leave us a rating on uh, iTunes uh, or in any other podcast platform you leave. We love comments. And, you know, Mom, if you are listening, that means you. I was telling my mother, <laughs> she listens to the podcast. I said, will you please give us a five-star rating on iTunes? You don't have to say you're my mother. Just go do it. There you go. Anyway, a little behind the scenes there. Help us How, out, Mom. Come yeah, on. <laughs> yeah, everybody's mom. But uh, we'd love to hear from you. Yeah, all right. All right, this week on More to Come. San Diego Comic-Con 2019 preview right here, right now. All right. All right. Now, on on more somber note, uh, the end of Mad Magazine, the end of Walking Dead, and on a back, up, up till, uptick note, Harper Alley, a new graphic novel's imprint, Andrea Colvin uh, lands, uh, and we're going to look at uh, Iceman and Marvel. All right. Comic-Con, Comic-Con, Comic-Con. Well, you're the Comic-Con preview lady. Oh, yes. Uh, um, And and that's a plug, of course. So this week's (laughs) July 5th dated issue, I do have a very sizable look at uh, Comic-Con. And in its 50th year. Yes. And it's really fun. I talked to some of the... 50th Comic-Con. Yes. Not 50th year. No, it is. It's 50th year. Is it the 50th year, too? Because the first year was number one. Yeah, Yeah, well, I know that. Number two. (laughs) Well, I understand. Look, okay, a lot of people say, oh, we've been married 50 years, and they'll do it on their 50th birthday, like when you turn 50. However, this is fifth Comic-Con number 50. Yeah. So it's technically... Not quite the same as saying yeah. it's 50 years old. It's in its 50th year for its 50th Comic-Con. Yeah. All right. So I'm, nerds. I'm not going to push So, hey, point. nerds. So, you know what? No, you know what? Let's talk about when the millennium really was. So, um, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. Even more interesting. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, um, anyway, I think we need to revisit that for sure. Okay. Um, okay. No. Uh, so, I, wrote this, I got to talk to Mark Evanier and Jackie Estrada, who were there at the very first Comic-Con. Yes. Uh, some really nice memories from them, I thought, really. I, I, you know, I have to say talking to both Mark and Jackie was really touching to me. And mm-hmm. Dave Glanzer also talking about his first Comic-Con. Uh, it was very touching talking to them about their experiences. I, mm. I tried to get as much of that into the article as I could. And because it's really very life-changing for people when, you well, know. that Well, I think that's a really good part. I mean, yes, it, it's grown into this pop culture behemoth. It's a marketing platform. But I thought one of the great pieces about your article of, was all of them talking about how it was a life-changing experience for them and connected it with people that really uh you know it was just really emotional right uh people that they you know uh, and that it continues to have that kind of connection it, with it, people it does i think the internet has changed it for a little bit that um you know i think what all of them were talking about was how at that time 
if you found someone else who liked Star Trek or comics, it was like, holy crap, I didn't know another person existed like me. Sure. So mm-hmm. it really was, you know, incredible feeling. And, you know, now obviously you go on the internet, it's very easy to find interest. But um, I think uh, it's still that making friends who share things yeah. and, you know, meeting people at Comic-Con. And, you know, we all go through that. I know, you know, Kate doesn't go to San Diego, but she anchors our New York Comic-Con yeah, presence. And, yep. you know, it's like just meeting new people, seeing old friends. It really is the the human element. And I don't care what they say about how big Comic-Con is and everything. It is a struggle. It is... Um, you know, a hassle. It's exhausting, but it that that still happens. You yes, know, that absolutely. connection with the people that you you share things with still happens. And uh, one of the other great things about the article, I mean, you talk about that very first um, Comic Con uh, in 1970. Um, the people that were there. Uh, I think what uh, Mark Evanier talks about about the 300 people came out. They thought it was great. Um, there's just, uh, the, the article is decorated with or, or illustrated by great photos from Jackie Estrada's comic book people collections of yes. great black and white. I mean, she just, she has photographs I of know. everybody. And you know, that first con, both Jack Kirby and Ray Bradbury were guests and, um, uh, you, you know, with 300 people and, Back then, that had to have been like a really, really rare experience. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Jackie mentions that she was, that's what really struck her about this, these early cons was that it was these world famous, world building people. And they were just standing around all these awkward kids who were just telling them how much they loved them. <laughs> yes, yes. And, <laughs> and like what a, you know, that was really a unique thing. I mean, you know, there were science fiction conventions before that, which Mark Evanier mm-hmm. alludes to. And there were Comic-Cons before that. And, you know, someday someone is going to write a definitive history of Comic-Cons, and maybe that person will be named Heidi McDonald. (laughs) uh, Because it's certainly something I'm fascinated by. But, um... And speaking of the history of Comic-Cons and conventions and science fiction conventions, listeners, if you ever have a chance (laughs) to get your hands on the immortal storm that mimeographed 1970s fan kerfuffle report as book in which the fans who are kerfuffling are the science fiction golden age greats. It is about how, among many other things, the very first science fiction con in the entire world, starring Isaac Asimov among others, dissolved into a giant pile of Backstabbing and finger pointing about really hilarious behavior. So is this like a nonfiction account? It is a nonfiction Whoa, account. I gotta read this. Book. I have a copy, Heidi. Oh my you gotta God. read All it. Right. It's right. like it's it's like it's like ridiculously small print and mimeographed in the 1970s. But you can get. But it was. I mean, okay, no, it looks mimeographed, but it was printed professionally wow. in the 1970s small press. It is a. Amazing. I have to read this book because, but you raise an incredible point, Kate. It's like, unfortunately, the reputation of the early science fiction cons was just that. If you weren't just right, you weren't allowed to be part of it. Well, it, and it was like, well, in this case, it wasn't so much that. It was somebody, which it's something else you see where someone, hence the joke, secret masters of fandom, Mm. somebody decides somebody else is banning Mm -hmm. them and Mm -hmm. preemptively gets mad and throws a fit. Mm. Um, Because basically some socialist fans decided that the World Science Fiction Convention wasn't promoting socialism. It wasn't, which was terrible, (laughs) terrible, I tell you. That argument again, but go on. And... um, (laughs) 
decided that they were going to uh, print up, in the days where you had to pay to print it up, print up a bunch of secret leaflets denouncing them for not being socialist enough, <laughs> um, got caught uh, attempting to hand them out to a pretty girl, um, got kicked <laughs> out of the convention for distributing literature saying that the entire convention was terrible. And we're like, we're going to start our own convention across the street in the coffee shop. Wow. Well, I be, but I mean, this, this is, you know, I did not know about this. I have heard some stories yeah. about how contentious these early sci-fi cons were. And, you know, I might have brought this up on the podcast, long-term listeners, Kate and Calvin. I'm sure you've heard me say this before. But one of the reasons why I'm so interested in Comic-Cons is why. Why do Comic-Cons get so big and all-inclusive, whereas there were science fiction cons before Comic-Cons, but they did not. And you just answered my question, Kate, because it is my understanding that there were very anal people, <laughs> for lack of a better term. And you don't hear that about this comic, about the early Comic-Cons. You hear that they were inclusive. Mm-hmm. And you know what, Jackie, another thing that Jackie mentioned that was very touching was that even at that first Comic-Con, there were people in wheelchairs. There oh, were, yes, that was and true. that that you know having um, facilities for people who were disabled was right from the start. And um, yeah. well, you well, know, I- one of the other things in the, in your story is Mark Evanier saying that referring to the the, um, the science fiction cons and how they thought they were a little bit better than the comics people. Mm-hmm. Well, of they course weren't, they did. They weren't that inviting. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, that's I mean, right. I they think, were snobby. Well, I mean, I think we have to go a little gentler on the people actually running the conventions. Sure. Because, you see, in those days, just as there was nowhere else to find other fans to be friends with, there was no nowhere True. to find other True. fans to be mad at them for doing <laughs> yeah. fandom wrong. Right. So, that's right. So that sort of <laughs> solved the problem in a weird way. <laughs> um, um, so therefore, part of the fun was finally having someone to take out your anger at them for <laughs> doing fandom wrong on. There you because go. only at a convention could you find them doing this. Yes. And yep, doing <laughs> fandom wrong, 100%. And, yep. and so it wasn't necessarily that always the people running the conventions were particularly oppressing anyone so much as there were often people who had a more generalized grudge against science fiction in -hmm. general and who had a vision of what they wanted a convention to be like who didn't want to run their own convention. Right. And who then would have issues with the way somebody else chose to run their own convention. And so, you know... It's just like with websites, only in person. Yeah, yeah, yeah it you is. Know, just one more thing about your um, your feature, um, uh, because you also talk a little bit about how Comic Con has changed. Um, what you know, some of the new things that are going will be going on at this year, including the celebration mm-hmm. about the fifty. Uh, and Rob, you talk with Rob Salkowitz, um, uh, the the author of what is it, uh, Comic Con and mm-hmm. the, the business, business of yeah, pop the- culture. Uh, you know, about the, you know, the, the marketing aspect of Comic Con, how it's grown, how it's changed over the years, cosplay, uh, and the like. Um. And you know, I, the one person who I talked to separately who I didn't get to put in as much was Seth Bardak, Bardak, who is, uh, one of the guys who works for one of the companies that puts on the Activations. I actually have a long interview with him yeah. mm-hmm. that will be running on the beat. And that was really fascinating talking to him. You know, first off, they are kind of coming out, these kind of activation companies that, that do these experiences, kind of stepping out of the shadows mm-hmm. and presenting themselves a little bit more. Um, but also, you know, even he said, I, you know, talking about putting on some of these things that, you know, sometimes we're annoyed 
that they're there uh, drawing these crowds. But, you know, the, the logistics of putting in these things in a parking lot is really <laughs> – there's. it's not like they have power. It's not like they yeah. have Wi-Fi. You know, so they're yeah. really building – at the and the, he was telling me, like, the deadlines for them are – so. I think I talked to Seth at the beginning of June. Okay, like, say eight weeks before yeah. Comic-Con. He said – he had just gotten off the phone with someone who didn't even know what they were doing yet. So they put these things together yeah. really fast. And, you know, I think in the the ecosystem and the culture of Comic-Con, you know, at first us comics folks are kind of, you know, put out by these activations and the lines that they get, these experiences. But, you know, they've become part of the really important yeah, fabric I, of I, it. I think, frankly, they, they, they placate the masses and keep a riot from going on. Mm-hmm. If really people could not, you, know, you can't get into the convention right. center. Right. Uh, and everyone's desperate, you know, to get to get some of the Comic-Con magic. But really, you walk you walk around there, and it's just like throngs of people having a good time. I, it is, and also I, I'm just you know uh, the the uh, creativity that yes. goes into putting yes. together these activations is mm-hmm. it's not to be sniffed at. Yes, There's that, really absolutely. a lot of, of creativity. So, Calvin, yes, what about this year's con? Yeah, well, <clears throat> well, I'm going to be moderating two panels, so I mean, I I, I do want to hype that a little bit. Um, uh, Let's see. But, you know, obviously, what is it? Um, Batman. It's going to be a big Batman celebration. Yes. Are you going to that? uh, You know what? We'll see. I know. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) We got to see how it works out between, you know, uh, getting interviews and all of that for the podcast and other things. But I got to see what's up with that. Yeah. You know, know, Wednesday is like the busiest day now because there's all these activations and there's all these Mm -hmm. previews and all these things that you get. If you remember the press, you get invited to these things. And it's just. Yeah. yeah, And I've got to check check my inbox and see what I've been what's been invited to but I would like to hype the the, the two panels that I'm going to be monitoring the publishers weekly panel organized by Heidi McDonald that's sitting across from me new publishers new plans uh, it's going to be on Thursday from 7 to 8 uh, we've got a great lineup there's so many new publishers with so many new plans so we're going to get them to talk about it Stuart Moore from Ahoy, Ahoy Comics Ted Adams formerly of the Mammoth IDW. Oh, yeah. Now has got his own sort of boutique operation, Clover Press, just announced. Andrew Arnold uh, of Harper, Harper Alley. Which we'll be talking about in a minute. We're going to talk about in just a little bit. Uh, C. Chung from TKO Presents. <clears throat> Excuse me. Liz Francis, who started up a new uh, publishing house called Street Noise Press. It's going to be like YA graphic novels, picture books of, of varying kinds. And Tyler Chen Tanner from A Wave Blue World. He's going to be talking about not exactly a new publishing house, but actually a lot of new plans. Right. Uh. Okay, so that's Thursday night. Then on, uh, let's see, on Saturday in the in the morning, uh, I'm going to be uh, moderating the Expanding the Black Comics uh, canon also with a great lineup Ezra Clayton Daniels um author of up uh you know uh, upgrade soul and now the uh, bottom feeders the new graphic novels that he did with Ben Passmore Ebony Flowers uh the author of Hot Comb graphic novel from uh, DNQ uh the great Aletha Martinez uh, who's worked on a, a zillion superhero books and most recently I guess Black Panther World of Wakanda uh Tanika Stotts um uh the editor of uh, all of those LGBTQ sci-fi anthologies, um, a big hit at uh, the the Eisner Awards last year, a, a winner, and of course the veteran comics writer David Walker, who's a bitter root 
uh, uh, graphic novel series with uh, Sanford Green is getting a lot of attention. So we're going to be wow. talking about black comics. What a great – when is that panel? Yeah. I want to go. That's on Saturday morning at 11 a.m. Oh, wow. That's really cool. So there you go. Uh, so I have – I should look and see what kind of panels I'm on because I haven't even made my schedule yet. Uh, well, so I'll be at the traditional How to Get News coverage panel. Yes, that's Which right. is at the Thursday at 1030. This is uh, my traditional yeah. kickoff of so – I'm not always on the panel. I'm always invited uh, where yeah. we just talk about. Now, at 5 o'clock, I was booked on two separate panels, <laughs> uh, but I will only be on one. Uh, they are at 5 p.m. on Friday – Thursday, they are presenting the PRISM Awards, for which I'm oh, a great. judge. Yes. So – uh, you will see me there, although not for the whole thing. And let me see. Okay, what else am I on? Okay, now this is the really the highlight for me of the con is that on uh, Sunday at 11 a.m., and I need to really flog this because this is a highlight for me. We are doing a panel called Friends of Lulu. We Changed oh, Comics. Yes. And this will be myself, Jackie Estrada, Trina Robbins, Liz Schiller, and Anina Bennett, and we will talk about how the ideas that the Friends of Lulu promoted helped create the explosion of comics for a more diverse comics audience today. Find out how 30 women meeting in a coffee shop grew into a national organization that published news, comics, and a retailer handbook, organized panels, and gave out the annual Lulu Awards. So, you know... That's awesome. 25 years ago, we were busting our butts to get this, and we were laughed Visionaries. at. Visionaries. We were laughed at. So, if I could, you know, I have it all in my emails if I could ever get onto my K-Pro again. But, uh, you know, uh, just we were laughed at. Like, oh, I don't think women will read comics. I don't think kids oh, read... To, uh, you oh, know, we don't it. really want to make... I don't yeah. think you can sell I comics to kids I remember going to some of the old... Um, when I first started going to comic on the old uh, award ceremonies uh-huh. that uh, Friends of Lulu used yes, to give at yes, Comic-Con we had every year. Yes, kick-ass parties. So anyway, this is a chance for me, Jackie, Liz, Anina, and Trina... That's great. To really have our little victory lap and say, you know what? We were right. Well, we were good. right. So what yeah. time is this? this Sunday? We what time? Right. I, need, I need to make sure I go to that. Sa- it is uh, Sunday at 11 a.m. And okay. I will be awake okay. for that panel. So panel. It was right. quite a quite a journey to get that done. So, Heidi, let's look behind the curtain a little bit oh. for our listeners who have never run a panel or got put on one. Oh, no. <laughs> um, so how does this work? When you get a panel together, do you need to ask everyone ahead of time being like, hey, so I want to do this panel. I don't know what's going to happen. Will you be on it? Or do you just, like, put the names there, and then if it gets approved, be like, hey, so you're on this panel. So, Are you cool with that? So, Kate, I do it both ways, to yep. be honest. Like, a lot of times with uh, the deadlines. <laughs> for instance, the deadline for New York Comic Con panels is Monday the 29th, which is the yes. Monday after Comic Con. It's, like, not the Monday directly after. It's a week after yeah, Comic Con. you got a week after so, San Diego So that's to do it. really harsh, like, it's getting harsh. it done. is. But at least it isn't the Wednesday after, directly after Comic Con, like it used to be. So they've moved it a bit. Um, and Calvin, we should all talk about that after we do yes. the podcast. So sure. a lot of times when the deadline comes up on you, you might have a topic for a panel, and I will put in names of people who would be perfect, and then you ask them. And sometimes they can't do it. Yeah. That's what Calvin and I do. Do, for do you the- have to actually know them? Uh, sometimes I, I don't. Sometimes I just reach yeah. out to people. And, you know, I think it's always good to go outside your comfort zone. And I, sure. I try to have a panel where somebody you don't know too well yeah. on. And do you ever find yourself on a panel that you weren't expecting? Well, yes, that happens all the time. And because I don't look at my schedule. But, you know, for instance, the way this <laughs> and business... And also, she does so many and panels. And I was also uh, supposed <laughs> to be on a really great panel that I won't be able to be on because... Uh, so let me flog it. Because I had to um, ditch the panel because it was opposite um, 
the, another panel the, the, the prism on. this prism yeah. awards yeah. and yeah. also uh it's at a time thursday night uh it is a party that the beat is having and i have to be there at seven o'clock to do <laughs> yes, setup I think you should be so there. i can't really leave the panel at six and get it all done so but this is a great panel and i highly urge you all to go it's at five o'clock on thursday before calvin's panel the vultures the business of comics vultures is abraham reisman leads an in-depth conversation to talk about you know what's going on it's got hunter Gorenson on it tim lenahan from diamond my me not on anymore philip sablik from boom dinesh samdasani formerly of valiant and robert young who owns borderland comics and games so mm-hmm. okay. it's a really good well, panel Abraham really, great, yeah he's, he's a, a great moderator i'm really sad so. i couldn't couldn't be on it but <clears throat> i i explained that as a as a, as a judge of the prism awards i really wanted to support them yes and, of course mm-hmm. you know uh, that no one could argue with that yeah. but it is it is a uh, a combination and and heidi you know and look heidi is handles these bureaucracies. I don't know how she does it, but she does. But it's usually a question of juggling, you know, who's going to be in San Diego. Right. You know, um, and, but, you know, a lot of people are. You know, I'll (laughs) tell you now, I wish it would have happened. So I have a vision for this is my dream panel. And it was at the Harvey Awards last year at New York Comic Con. And in the attending were... Dave Gibbons, uh, Penelope Bajou, yes, and Liniers, and mm-hmm. uh, from Argentina, Penelope from France, and Dave from England. And I thought these are the three most charming, funny they're, they're people charming, I've yes. ever <laughs> met in my life. I said if I could just get all three, and they were all talking to each other. I was like, oh, if I can get them on a panel, a charm if I could get panel. these three, <laughs> so, Heidi, Heidi, you should suggest I'm, that for next uh, well, you know, year. If I'm anybody can do Alcon. it, uh, we'll see. That's Heidi, Heidi's, the beat McDonald dream panels right there. So if you're listening. New York Comic Con. All Let's right. Let's have it happen. So, yeah, so um, 50 big ones at San Diego Comic Con. Yeah, so, you know, we have it. We'll be doing daily podcasts again, as we do every year. Um, you know, there hasn't been that much news. Well, we'll get to a little bit of news in a minute, but, um, you know. What there is is significant. Yes. There's not a lot, but what there is is choice. Yes. So, check out our daily podcasts, um, and I, I will... Uh, sadly, minus Bridget Alverson. So my, my usual three women in a hotel room podcast will only be two women in a hotel room, me and Deb. And we might actually tinker with the format a bit. Bridget not coming? No, Bridget's not coming. What? All right, we'll talk about okay. that after the podcast. <laughs> yeah. I'm shocked. I, I know. Well, <laughs> anyway, it's very sad that we will really miss her. But um, yes, you Team Beat will be covering... Team Beat, Team PW and Team Beat yes. will be covering <laughs> the con in depth in our yes. usual... Um, yes. And as per usual, I, the podcast producer, will not be there in person. I will be there in spirit. And this year, I will physically be on vacation in Cape May. So. Yes. That sounds amazing. Someday <laughs> I'm going to do that. There you go. So I will I will be uh, your remote reporter from the beach. So, okay. So let's move on a little bit to some of the news we alluded to. Yes. And, um, you know, we talked a couple weeks ago about, I think, uh, about vertigo, the venerable line being shut down. And now something even more momentous is that DC announced they were shutting down Mad Magazine. They will fulfill subscriptions mm. with reprints until the fall and then no more Mad. What yeah. the? Or no more freak? new Mad. Well, is I didn't understand. Is it going on as it's an going ongoing? on? It's going on as a. I mean, I don't understand. I'm, I'm don't a little understand. frustrated with this. I don't understand how this would work. 
supposedly it's going to continue with reprinting old material. Because That's nothing what I is funny anymore, right? So we only need... And, and, and everybody magazine. is going to be so into jokes about Chevy Chase. I know. Now. I don't... Like, I really... Let what? me look again. I mean, that's there is what some I class, understood. But, well, okay. Say. Now, we talked about this. I will say this. You know, uh, DC through, I believe, Random House, but possibly other publishers has put out quite a few collections of mad material like well, mad in the 50s and those have be. sold quite well mm-hmm. okay so that might have given them the idea that if they just do it as a reprint mag it will be popular but I that's mean, not how well, magazines work why I mean, Vertigo, I could understand. The brand was a little bit threadbare and could use a, a true go away and come back. Mad freaking magazine is one of the best known brands of all freaking times. Why? Why, Warner? They had a TV show that lasted for 12 years with yeah. nobody even noticing. Yeah, it's, I don't it's think hard they made the connection out. that Mad <sighs> well, TV maybe, was based on the magazine. And, and, and you, you know, know what? I mean, what I would have done, why don't they do it as, I mean, why don't they do it as kind of a quarterly trade paperback with new material and then also maybe do some reprints to, to fill it out? Maybe initiate it into more of a book format. Or, or alternately, what you could do is you could do like a lot of the things you see on the newsstand. Is they could have specials, so they could have like the uh, presidential elect mad presidential election special, woo, uh, mad summer movie special, woo. You know, so maybe you got like three coming out a year with a specific topic and a lot of material on. Now, yeah. how did we come up with a really great uh, publishing <laughs> plan here? So there's, you know, guys, there's something else yeah. going on. No, they're supposed there. to also have a year in uh, issue with some new material. But the, also, what's the point of this exercise? People will just think it's a bunch of reprints and stop reading it. Uh, I kind of agree. I, I just don't follow it. I mean, so Mad but, is a culture-changing magazine. But there's something afoot at DC and even I, the Kremlinologist, can't even... I mean, you know... What okay. are your theories? Well, I, I'm stymied. I mean, you know, they shut down Vertigo, they shut down... You know the kids' lines. They just spent half a million dollars to make it. New kid and then lines. they, well, they they, they kind of didn't, but <laughs> they kind of just rebranded they what just they'd re-branded. already done. And then like they shut, so they don't want any re-brand. brands. Well, I don't know. Like this is, is this part of AT and T? You know, not on our story list, but incredibly significant this week was the announcement of uh, Warner Brothers Max, right? This oh, new that's the streaming, streaming oh, service. I missed that. That they made a whole big deal out of that they would have. DC Entertainment in there and um, shows from the CW and so where does that leave DC Universe? Well, that DC sure. Universe is supposed to have an enormous presence at San Diego. Yes, they're doing a vast, vast mm. thing for DC Universe. So you got me. It really <laughs> yes, just sounds yes. like well, they it, do not know what the freak they're doing. Well, I mean, it could be. Here is my possible theory for uh, Max versus. DC Universe. I don't know if they're going to do this, if they're going to be as smart as we are. But it could be like the difference between between Verve and Crunchyroll, right? Um, so you can subscribe to Verve, which is a collection of a bunch of different streaming channels into uh-huh. one platform. Or, and for that, you pay like $10 a month. Or, you can subscribe to just Crunchyroll, which is sort of the Marquee uh, channel on there, for like three bucks a month less. Hmm. So it could be yeah. that uh, Max would cost like 
two or three bucks more than uh, DC Universe. And for that price, you get everything in DC Universe and all this other stuff. So I'm going to, uh, it's actually HBO Max, which I was confused by, but I'm okay. going to uh, do rarely what I do. Uh, like the great, great Kim Masters has actually written a story for Hollywood Reporter with the title, New Warner Bros. CEO Faces Questions About Her Role in the Streaming Era. And uh, it's a big, I haven't even read this whole thing, but it's Kim Masters is the, the gold standard for entertainment uh, reporting. But uh, just a sentence that jumped out at me. While Sarnoff lacks a traditional showbiz background, she has plenty of experience on the op- operational side, a Harvard MBA. She joined BBC Studios, blah, 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 Dow Jones and Viacom. You know, every time they go and they put some kind of bean counter in charge <laughs> of something that's supposed to be creative... It ends in a flaming heap. <laughs> so I wish you well, Ann Sutter, because you are a woman and I'm, you know, yeah. a heavily male dominated world, but I'm not sure I'm really hep to that. Yeah. So. Well, um. Well, it depends on who her advisors are. You know, if she's actually listening to people who know anything about how to make money on geeks, mm. maybe, you know. She might well, it, follow it, a model that makes some sense. Well, it, what's, what's interesting about this is just like it's gridlock for streaming services. I mean, it's really just is. like it's a true. new one opening up, yeah. it seems, once yeah. a month. And, you know, they did this with before. There were so many. I mean, it's been going on for a while. Um, you know, I want to go back one minute to San Diego because we didn't mention something that I think is, is germane to this, this segment, though. Go. Um, that... They are having, uh, you know, first they were like, oh, we're not going to do a Marvel panel. And then I was like, of course they're going to do a Marvel panel in Hall H. And yeah, goddamn, they are. They're doing Saturday in their usual time. They're doing a panel where they're going to talk about what's coming in the Marvel Universe. Oh, well, this is going huge. to be, That's gonna be huge. the biggest yeah. event ever at Comic-Con. Okay. Now I say that in... Um, you know, I honestly don't think I'm hyperbolizing. I'm saying this is going to be the most eagerly Why? waited because uh, nobody knows. Because Kevin Feige has, you know, everyone is chasing the MCU right now. Yeah, everybody wants to be Kevin Feige yeah. and running a franchise that he has shepherded for over a decade to Endgame is going to be the number one movie of all times. Yep. And yep. so the fact that, you know, they have the excitement for this, I mean, this is what. This is what they're trying to get, you know. They're trying. Is Anne Sarnoff the new Kevin Feige? I don't know. You know, I, I, she did not, you know, grow up with uh, the director, you know, Donner, the Richard Donner, who trained everybody. But you know, I mean, this is the brass ring that everybody is chasing with all of this stuff. And um, yeah, good luck. Yeah. And you know, one more com- uh, Comic Con uh, notice: um, the Comic Con Museum. Yes. Is going to be opening uh, at least at least the beginnings well, of it. Well, they're having a huge DC Batman right. thing there. Yeah, it's going right. to be all weekend at Balboa Park. A yeah. huge Batman. Yeah. So, so just to mention, so that they as well. are. Listen, Warner Brothers is really pushing the DC brand. I yeah, guess yeah. they just decided that all these other dumb brands like Mad Magazine. Well, well who needs them? Yeah. I mean, and look, and even though you know they've had an up and down kind of uh, experience with the movies, uh, clearly. This is something that people care about, you know, yes. in this in this community yes. well, that we operate in. And let's disclose something, dear listeners. Publishers Weekly is not immune from this because <laughs> because the cover ad yes. for the oh, current yeah. issue yes. of Publishers Weekly yes. is drum roll, please. 
Batman down. And yeah. funnily enough, it's got in the corner a little thing that says DC Black Label. Oh, yeah. I mean, so I guess the, I, th- I thought they didn't have brands anymore. Well, they definitely do. And remember, <laughs> but it this says is a DC PW. in it, so it's not a, a real oh, brand. It's this a is label. a DC cover package, so this label. is really promoting the entire well, yeah, but I mean, line yes, of comics. On, on the inside, oh, on yeah. the back, it yes. says various other Black yeah, this Label This is a cover titles. package, so it's, but, it's but, pushing the line. Long live the bat. But... But the cover is just Batman Damned. You know, it's a full and, and cover. The first time we talked about Batman Damned here was because... The Batawang. Yes, the Batawang. Yeah, well, the, yes. Yes. the Batman Wang. The Batman's <laughs> action todger. Well. And so, you know, people, I, I think it's pretty... Some people are like, oh, they're never going to push that book. It's like, far from it, my yeah. friends. They have this image of the cover everywhere. Well, I I think it's a yeah. Well, I mean, we were worried about that after some after that spectacularly uh, dumb yeah (laughs) issue that we talked about weeks on end. Uh, The the book is bigger, so to speak. Yes, (laughs) book survived. Yes. Uh, Okay, so (laughs) well, guess what? Mad wasn't the only death. No, it certainly isn't. Apparently, uh, the Walking Dead will walk not much further. Bang bang! Yeah. She shot so, me down. Um, bang, bang, the final uh, episode of uh, issue of Walking Dead um, was coming up soon. Where no, it or, but Calvin. Have they? Have we it missed already it? Came is out? it already out? There Don't you, go. you know that there was? See, this is the thing about this. So, Robert Kirkman and Image Comics pulled a total switcheroony mm. on the retailers and readers. So, and also oh, wait, spoilers, mm-hmm. spoilers, spoilers, like turn it off if you haven't read Walking Dead. Yes. So, in the previous issue, Rick Grimes died. Right, yes. And that was a big old whoopee doo. And so, the sneaky Robert Kirkman and Image had sent out solicitations for issues all through the fall. However, on last Monday, when issue 183 dropped, they were like, oh, by the way, this is the last issue. Uh, we just wanted to surprise you and enjoy. So immediately reorders. Of course, it sold out immediately. Of course, there yeah. were reorders. And um, there were some retailers. There's a there's a, um, there's a column by my retailer columnist uh, on uh, Brendan Chats on The Beat talking about uh, this created a kerfuffle uh, because they what, thought they what, hadn't what? been played fair with. They were a little upset that Kirkman had, you know, kind of been so misleading and and done it without a chance for them to order more. And, you know, I'm curious. I I would love to talk to someone because, you know, remember they did that with Die, Die, Die where they did a surprise drop and they said they were testing to see which would sell better if they did it with a long lead-in or if they did it with no lead-in. And I guess you got your answer there Mm -hmm, that they – and I mean, who knows? Some people say maybe, oh, I don't think it was planned. I'm like, I think they killed off Rick Grimes and then they're like, you know what? Let's do it. Yeah. No. Well, I mean, I think part of what made The Walking Dead The Walking Dead was the one thing it had in common with Game of Thrones, which was anyone can die when you very least expect it. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I think they're like, anyone can die, including the book. Yep. The end. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well yeah. Put. So well put. He, he, he just followed yep. character. You're right. Sure. You're right. And you know what? I, I, I think at the end of the day, it'll be fine. I think people will go out and buy this issue. They will continue to buy the... You know, I don't think he really cares if he annoyed some retailers a tiny bit I because think, he knows I mean, that the he's retailers can enough. order more copies of it. I yes. would assume, and the TV show is continuing. You it know, and they're launching know. another spinoff. Which I mean, obviously, the show is not at the heights that it's been, and you know, had the cast is gone, yeah. the show is leaving. It's just going to be Daryl. You know, but um, hey, never listen. underestimate the Daryl fan. Yeah, that's true. 
So anyway, yep. Bye bye, Mad. Bye bye, Walking Dead. What? It's a whole new world. Stuff happens. Uh, so to, oh, so Kelman. Yes. You talked to Andrew Arnold. I did. So uh, there is a new publisher in town, uh, folks. Here, let me see. Uh, Andrew Arnold, uh, formerly with um, how did this happen? Sorry, I'm looking up something here. Formerly with uh, First Second, uh, he was an art director there as well as an acquiring editor. Uh, we've been hearing rumors about this for for months that um, HarperCollins was going to step up its graphic novel game, and it's come through. Uh, and they're publishing; they're going to do some serious publishing, uh, according to Andrew. Uh, they're looking to do thirty books a year. That's uh, a lot. Uh, and and while they are, it's being launched under uh, HarperCollins um, uh, Children's Books. Uh, they're, they, they emphasize that they're going to publish books for, t- for, uh, middle grade, YA, young adult, and for adults. They mm-hmm. do intend to publish uh, adult graphic novels as well. Um, they expect the first books to come in the fall of 2020. Uh, they're going to do also, uh, English language translation. So, oh, wow. look for European graphic novels as well. Uh, uh, authors that they say that they can introduce to American readers. Um, and yeah, and Andrew, uh, who I've talked with a little bit, uh, you know, on the down low about this for about a couple of months because they were waiting, uh, for just the right time, uh, to announce it. Surprise, surprise, just right. before Comic Con. So, yeah, so this, uh, explosion of new imprints, new companies, new publishing, uh, platforms continues. Yes, and I'm, uh, you know, really pleased that Andrew will be on our panel next week. Your yes, panel, Calvin. On, and he will yes. be on the new planet, a publisher's yes. panel. And, you know, he agreed to be on it, and I was like, okay, that means yeah. they're going to announce yeah. it just before. But, I mean, it's really exciting that he will be there. And, you know, he had a great career at uh, First Second, and he's a CCS alumnus. I mean, Andrew's got a really great background, yeah. Yeah. so he's really bringing a lot to the table. And he's also stepping into HarperCollins. Well, Harper doesn't really have – I don't think he's had a kind of a graphic novel-like unit before but they have a long fairly long history of publishing graphic novels they do and that's uh something that i kind of might have alluded to a little bit i feel like harper has probably the last of the big publishers to really have a uh, they have dabbled before yes. I, including with myself to be honest like mm. uh more than a decade ago i actually did a line of uh, graphic novels under uh, a Fox Atomic imprint at mm-hmm. HarperCollins, which is, you know, it's all owned by Fox, so it's all kind of in the family. Yes, I remember. Uh, yeah. yeah, and that yeah, was yeah. really fun, mm-hmm. and I, I actually won an award for them. Ah. And they were really beautiful to this day. I'm very proud of the work. Uh, but uh, was But they it? published Scott McCloud. Yes. They published uh, Nimona, Noel yes. Stevenson's. Uh, they published New Kid by Jerry Crabb. Yeah. yeah. They, well, listen, let me tell you, if you look at, uh, you know, they also used to publish The Simpsons. Yes, that's but right. They don't yeah. anymore. Oh, they don't. Oh, yeah. Hmm. Interesting. It's all on Fox. Huh? Oh, yeah. Interesting. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah, hmm. and also they were part of. I, I feel like so. This is just me spitballing and um, like a kind of conjecture. But uh, I remember during that that period, fifteen years ago, that you were alluding to. Actually, fifteen, you know, twenty years ago, almost when the first rush of graphic novels happened, and mm-hmm. I remember Harper did jump in, and they did those. Um, those books by Jill Thompson that were so amazing. Oh, yeah, and they were great. And then they didn't do well. And yeah. then they kind <laughs> of like they yeah. they did a whole bunch of things. They were one of the ones that jumped in, mm-hmm. did some books, didn't know how to do it, 
excluding, I could say, my own experience, and they didn't do well. And then they're like, ah, oh, screw this graphic novel business. I'm going home. So I feel like they finally They've come back. Come back. Yeah. And, uh, mm-hmm. You know, Nimona was a huge thing for them. Yeah, National out, Book Award nominee. Yeah, came yeah. out three years ago. Made so a lot of money. Yeah. Still yeah. makes a lot of money. Right. You'd think they might have jumped on before then, but they yeah. didn't. But now they have, and they got an awesome person to run. Yeah, and it looks like they've really been methodical in putting it together. Yeah. So that's I think that's always a good sign. And um, and also Andrea Colvin, uh, who was yes. last at uh, Lion Forge and as their executive editor. And now she has emerged as the editor at, uh, what is her title there, She Calvin? is editorial director of graphic publishing uh, at a little, uh, well, it's, for, it's under um, the Hachette Book Group. Um, but uh, which all owns Little Brown Publishers. Yeah, it's Little Brown Young Readers. Yes, yeah. yes. So it's it, Brown is, Young it is a kind of overtly. Young it's overtly a kids' line. Yes. But uh, Andrea did great things at Lion Forge. Uh, you know, I worked with her as a sister company of Lion Forge. The beat is owned by Polarity, yeah. as was Lion Forge. And uh, but yeah, they and did some great things. And you Andrea is super mu- smart. Yes, yes. I mean, you don't get much more experience no. in um, in publishing for young readers and publishing graphic publishing than Andrea. She has done it all. Andrea's McMeal. I mean, you name yeah. it. Yeah, it, it goes on. And you know, there. I I think we've plugged the books before, but there are some books coming out right now from Mind Force that I so love, like. Uh, Genderqueer. Yes, I think that's one of her books. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, great, great hire, Um, great hire. But I think this also really, and and I uh, and and talking with um, uh, an executive editor over uh, at at Little Brown, um, uh, Marisa Russell. This is really augurs in uh, the beginning of an expansion of the kind of graphic publishing that they're doing at at Little Brown. Well, you know, just to. throw in a little bit of the numbers here. I don't know if it's in the print issue. No, it's not. But uh, I did notice that our our colleague Jim Milliot had a story today about overall sales. Oh, yeah. yeah. I didn't read it. Yes. And, uh, well, <laughs> Sorry, I did Jim. because I love that. <laughs> and, you know, the number three selling book of the year thus far, not best-selling kids book, not best-selling graphic novel, best-selling yeah. book of the year thus far, the number three, is a Dogman book. Yep. And I know it's controversial whether it's a comic or not, but two wimpy kid books are also in yeah. the best selling top twenty. Not comics adjacent. Yes, comics adjacent. But like, you know, this when you are a publisher and you look and see these numbers, you are like, How do I get me some of that? <laughs> yes. And so call it ramping up, call it ratcheting up, call it stepping up. Call it copycat. Doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? It's a gold rush going on, or so they think. But we hopefully it doesn't turn into that. And because there's a lot of product coming, so hopefully it will meet demand. Um, well, I, but there's you, a lot. There is, of but stuff you know what? On. I think there's a lot of, you know, we see the children's book industry is enormous. Yes. And they put out yeah. billions of books. And you know what? I think there's, there, I yeah. think, I think it's going to be hard to be publishing too many of these books where it's like, oh, I guess kids don't like comics. You know, I mean, that's not going to happen. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no. It might be like, wow, this book didn't work. You know, or we need to publish different kinds of books or something. But yeah, I, I mean, just... and you know, and you know, in many ways, that that's how the market works. I know in the comics industry, I mean, you know, a glut is usually seen as almost apocalyptic to the business. Uh, but in the, you know, this happens in the book trade too. Mm-hmm. But usually, now the effects are not good either. But it just simply means that you hit your wall on the market, and you need to think about diversifying whatever you're doing a little bit right. more. I mean, I think the problem is not necessarily too many comics. The problem is too many comics that are too similar yes. as far as where they're aiming. And, and because, all- for example, there's only a market for so many Thor books per month. Yes. 
Well, exactly. I mean, in some ways, the 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 fatal, the apocalyptic glut. It's a it's kind of a direct market. That is true, a, a but problem I, in I, the, in I will, extreme. It's a niche problem. It's I will, a, if things are all in the same niche, that's where the problem lies. I will also say, however, that um, I think the problem is that are there enough talented people to make good books? But also, you know, when people like things that they like, they like a lot of it. You know, when I was a kid, if there was a fantasy book series, I was like, I got to read that, you yeah. know? And maybe I wouldn't read past the first one, but I was like, oh, there's a, you know? Yeah, you, sure. Hey, you yeah. know what I'm saying. Yeah, but I mean, I will say that at a certain point, okay, I'll give you an example, a very specific example, but relevant, um, say, LGBT comics. So when I was 16, 17, 18, if I could find one anywhere, no matter how crappy it was, I was filled with joy and right. I bought it. Sure. Even if it was just so terrible. But now there's so much. I don't even know how many there all are. I mean, I, I have many that I love and I spend money on, but there are many I am not even aware they exist yet. Right. Uh, and that makes me very happy. Yeah, sure, sure. But, yeah. you know, there's no, a certain right. point that where even if you love it, and you're going to read a lot of it, there's only so much product you're going to consume per month. That is that is true. That is 100% Because you true. have a limited budget. I mean, it may stretch more than some people might think, or you might be willing to prioritize it over other genres if you love this particular genre enough. But at a certain point, you're like, okay, that's a big enough stack of comics for now. But and remember also, we're also entering a period now where comics are not coming down this little straw-sized shoot to just one market. <laughs> yes. You know, it's yeah, it's, it's more reaching out. Reach there are people, people who walk into stores that have nothing to do with comics and ask for right. them. So, so, so I think <clears throat> I think. Look, we talk about it all the time that we're in a perilous time for publishing overall. I mean, I think if there's danger, it's really from the fact that publishing in general is changing rapidly. I mean, I think what a dog man hits and a dog boy hits, it's going to be such a big hit that everybody's going to want to have their... Oh, sure. Their, but that's how publishing works. They see a hit and they scramble after it. So I do... I don't think... I think people, I think what all these imprints, they might scale back or they might scale down. That's true. But everybody is going to keep trying to get their dog man oh, yeah. and their Reina also. Right. And if I may add, I just see that the Harper, um, the Harper Alley story has jumped into the top 10, top 10 most popular stories yes, on well. BW.com. Yeah. Popular. So there you go. Yeah. And I mean, there will be good side effects and stupid side effects as witness any number of booms. Like, for example, oh, hey, you know, uh, Bridget Jones's diary did well. I know. Let's have a lot of humorous books for women that have shoes inside <laughs> right, them. Right. And all the books have to have shoes on the yeah. cover. And, and like some Chick of those lit. books, some yes. of those books were fine. But, you know, uh, some, some of them were clearly like created by someone who wasn't that interested in yeah. that very specific niche they were asked to do. Um, and I imagine there will be a lot of, Bad dogman ripoffs done by people who don't really care, but you'll have this, and at the same, but still, at least there will be more of a market, and there will be more publishers open to graphic novels. Yes, yeah. yeah. I, it, it, this, this, you know, this is the break. You know, they're not going to go away. They're yes. here. No. They no. are here no. to stay. Um, but um, your comments about LGBTQ material. Uh, that's kind of a, a good segue into the you know the last item on our list here, Iceman and Marvel. Yes, 
Well, it may be a better time for <laughs> LGBT content in comics in general, but maybe not at Marvel. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Mighty, do you have any thoughts? Well, you, uh, go ahead and tell you the story, and then I will I will uh, jump in with. Um... Okay. Yeah, and you can you can contribute as we go. Yeah. So, uh, the creator of the recent Iceman comic, um, Cena Grace, um, has voiced his very negative feelings about his editorial experience on the Marvel comic. Yeah. Um, basically, he said, you know, that uh, everyone had known this was going to be an LGBT book, but that at every step along the way, he got um, pushback and micromanaging on any kind of LGBT content in this book, which was specifically supposed to be about a gay character. Yeah. And he said that, you know, he was expecting to feel like he was, you know, working in the greatest place in comics, and instead he felt like he was surrounded by a bunch of cowards. Yeah. And, you know, let's compare this to over at DC where Batwoman was announced as a lesbian character, and she's getting her own TV show. And, you know, there's no squeamishness at, you know, to their immense credit. Yeah. Um, and and it, the books sell. And they do yeah. sell. And, I mean, there is, like, we just, there's a kind of a big audience for this kind of material now. And there is such a huge outcry. We talk about this, this week after kind week. Of material. So, and, and also, I mean, quite frankly, even among younger readers who aren't necessarily specifically looking for LGBT content, they would think it was weird if there was right. none, uh, if there was none. Right? Yep. Like in, in a wide it. MCU. Nailed they would it. just be like, even if they're not looking for it themselves, they would be like, but why no gay Marvel? Yeah. And so, you know, whenever this is brought up, uh, and, and, uh, Cinna did allude to this in his comments oh, as well. Oh, not Cinna? I, You know what? I'm, I apologize. I don't Grace. know. Let's just call him Grace. <laughs> um, uh, that this seemed to be something that was coming from higher up. And yeah. I would have to say from, people at Marvel that I know are not raging homophobes. And, you know, there are a lot of gay writers working, like queer writers working at Marvel now. I mean, there have been other... um, And there's content that gets slipped in along mm -hmm. the way. And there has been stuff that has been pretty overt as the time when Greg Pak was like, you know what? Alternate universe Wolverine has been boyfriends with Hercules. Yes, yeah. that was a great moment. <laughs> and so, but I don't, I'm not sure you could do that now. So, uh, I don't know where, um, uh, I, like I said, I Can don't. Can I speculate? Yes, go ahead. My speculation's name is Perlmutter. Yes. Well, that is kind of a rumor about the guy, isn't it? That he yeah. is a homophobe. Yeah. And yeah. that he has. As ho- well as being a disagreeable human yes. being. Yes. It's just a racist, homophobic, sexist, kind of a total a-hole. Um, well, you know what? I mean, is it? I don't know. You I don't know. know. I don't know. But it's a speculation. That but is, if you're, that is... we're speculating, but let's just say the pieces sure align well. Now, but he's but, powerful and he's a jerk. However, hey, listen. I don't know what Disney's part of this is either, okay? But I think... Well, Disney, I will say, I kind of don't think it's Disney. I really don't think it's corporate Disney. Because Disney has, in eras when it was more dangerous for a corporation to be pro-gay, 
Disney has been pretty gay yeah. friendly. Yeah, you're right. Disney yeah. has gay yes. days yeah, at have. Disney. Yeah. I'm, I don't the, think it's Disney. The, where is this coming from? In a time when uh, the LGBT community works aimed at the community are just exploding all over. I mean, I, and I, acceptance know, for Megan members Rapino, outside you know, of it. is running for president or should be. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I mean, I, it, it, are, are the people, uh, the marketing and the publicity people of Marvel really so clueless? I mean, if you read his account, it's really demoralizing how someone, even when he got inadvertently got, like, for instance, New York Times stories about him. He he was being treated as though somehow or other he stepped out of line. You know, hearing it's bizarre hearing you guys talk about this, and I mean, I have my suspicions. Is it Disney? Um, and then, uh, but you know what? You're, you're kind of right because Disney just isn't isn't that clueless. I mean, Kate, you just nailed it. It's like if you're a kid growing up in America today, not other countries, sadly, but if you're growing up in America today, you, there's queer people in the world, or maybe you're queer and you're aware just, of you're it. just in a world where there's yeah, even if you're a straight kid, fine, and it's yeah, it's just a normal thing to be normal, in the world. The world, and is. you're fine with it. Yeah, and, or even if you're not looking for it, or even if you don't particularly want to seek out a book about a, pro- a gay protagonist, like it, you would think it would be a normal thing for gay protagonists to be in this line, right? And like, if your friends were like, "Wow, you know, you know, where's the gay character at Marvel?" You'd be like, "Yeah, where is the gay character at Marvel?" Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, uh, we're speculating here, but but it is, something there weird is definitely going on. something to speculate. Yeah, something very weird going on. Well, it looks like we're kind of out of time here, guys. So no time for briefs. Are we gonna? Well, I think we have time for a, brief, a couple mini a brief, brief. brief. Okay. Yes, brief briefs. Yes. <laughs> so we have two Sandman and Sandman oh, yes. Universe yes. briefs. So uh, John Constantine. Uh, protagonist of Hellblazer, um, currently on Legends of Tomorrow, um, currently have, well, in the past having appeared in many, many books, as well as his flagship title, Hellblazer, which ran for many, many years at Vertigo before being reconstant, <laughs> <laughs> reconstituted, not reconstantined. Reconstantined. Uh, <laughs> Uh, Is that like reincarnation? But go on. Uh, yeah, well, kind of bit was um, in various forms since. Um, is coming back into DC Comics after a very short break. And going off, well, by the way, to the all ages line also is Johnny hmm. Constantine. But you know that was from Johnny Constantine. I was so wrong. Uh, but you that know, was from Ryan, like a, Ryan North. It's a joke. Just a it's a cute funny C-poo old joke. joke. It's a funny, funny joke. Um. Funny, funny joke. <laughs> yeah. Um, John Constantine is being added to the Sandman Universe lineup, which is not as off as you might think, because actually in some of the very first issues of Sandman, he <laughs> appeared. Oh, there you go. <laughs> he's returned. There, yeah, he's back. So, you know, their universes have merged once more. Right. And, and oh, go on, on the Sandman note... Um, Netflix has announced that they are doing a Sandman show. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah finally talking about the, it. Now, the isn't, gold isn't crown. Sandman always considered one of the shows yes. that was unfilmable or yes. something. Yeah. Yes, it was unfilmable, and so was Good Omens, and then Good Omens was filmed. Did it. Yeah, <laughs> um, but it helped to actually have Neil Gaiman on board to you know help make it happen. That doesn't hurt. That doesn't mm-hmm. hurt at all. 
Yeah, well, in that streaming scrum that we were talking about earlier, every scrap of IP shall not be left unturned. Yeah. Well, and and plus, I mean, it does sort of make the joke all the funnier about the um how we put this, the angry religious people who are so mad at the existence of the admittedly heretical good omens that they decided to have a writing campaign to Netflix, which didn't air good <laughs> omens. <laughs> and Netflix was like, okay, we'll cancel it if Amazon cancels Stranger Things. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Uh, well, can I jump in very quickly for yes. a oh, brief yes, here? Calvin, yes. Yeah, and I just want to give a, a, a um, uh, just a plug, basically, for a great museum show in Boca Raton, uh, Florida, uh, at the Boca Raton Museum of Art. Uh, a, a great friend of mine, an old friend who now lives in Boca Raton, is senior curator at the at the museum. She has organized a show called Beyond the Cape: Comics and Contemporary Art. It's really about the influence of comics on contemporary artists. Uh, uh, Kathy Guncheroff is a curator. I did a talk there this past week. The show will be up to October. Check it out. Uh, it's got work by really. Uh, Really fascinating. Chitra Ganesh, Trenton uh, Doyle Hammock, uh, contemporary artist, but it also has, uh, people, uh, our Crum is in it, Aline Kaminsky Crum, Chester, uh, uh, excuse me, Chris Ware, um, um, Ron Wimberly. So check it out, Google it online. Um, uh, if you live in Florida, go. Go to it. It's a really great show, really imaginative. Well, Calvin, show. congrats on getting to do that. That's yeah, that's really it, cool. It, and it you, was fun. And you you did a talk, which we might be hearing. Yes, you might be hearing. There might is there is a recording hearing. of it. I'm told. Yes. yes. <laughs> um, so that may or may not be coming to a podcast near yes. you. You'll have Stay to wait tuned. and see. <laughs> so uh, anyway, be ready next week for our San Diego Comic Con onslaught. Please. Leave us a rating. Even if you don't like it, just leave us a comment. Let us know how we're doing. We really thrive on feedback. And as always, there will be more to come.